but yeah, we do sparklers, hand pumps, and uh, we use what's called a castle wave. It's the Beer Vana Show, broadcast almost live in Portland on X-Ray FM and available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. I'm Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at Oregon State University, and with me as always is Jeff Allworth, author of several books. I think I call you Jeff. Jeff Allworth, author of several books, including The Beer Bible. That's me. I also answered. I finally got a copy of The Beer Bible because you finally gave me one. I did. Yeah. How much of it have you read? Uh, well, sitting on my bedside table, which okay. is step one. There's right. a process. You That's can't, right. you know, you have to, it has to, it's conditioning. I have a bedside table. I have a number of books on my bedside table. Uh, oddly, you're warming up. <laughs> oddly, I just read the uh, the Metamorphosis because my son had to read it for uh, high school. Nice. I don't think I've ever read it before. Really? Yeah. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't school? impressed. Guy turns into a bug, crawls around. Like okay. Yeah, I think it was revelatory for its time. Yeah. You know, it was uh, it doesn't age well. I think. Like, come on, people turn to bugs all the time. Well, now they do. <laughs> now they do, but then it was, you know, it was a, it was a transitional time in literature as people went away from the omniscient third person into uh, unreliable narrators and first person accounts. Ooh, look at you, English sort of major, not really, but minor, kind of minor. minor, English minor. Yeah. Okay. Minor. Well, good. Thank you for that. So, how have you been? Uh, I've been good. I've been in Seattle. I'm a little bit run down. We had to. Uh, you look a little bit run down. Thank you. But that's how you always look. So yeah. I'm never quite sure. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> always look craggy and aged. Uh, yeah, so I was in Seattle um, doing some stuff we could talk about. And uh, those are always when I'm on beer adventures. It's, it's like I try to pack in as much as possible since I'm going to be on site. And yeah. then. Kind of wears me. Yeah, we can talk about you train up. Did you go to the train? Did you take the train up? Or no, I, I drove. Yeah, uh, I drove because uh, while I was in Seattle, I stayed in Ballard, uh -huh. uh, and but I needed to drive to Metier Brewing, which is in Woodenville, uh -huh. and there ain't no way to get to Woodenville. Yeah, that's the thing. Think. If you're if you're bopping around different breweries, that's the problem with the train. It's hard to get to those places. You'd have to. Uber. Yeah, I don't. Do some. I don't know that I've ever driven to Seattle. I think that's the first time I've ever driven oh, really? to Seattle. And I stayed at the Seattle so many times. Uh, <laughs> I, I stayed at the Marco Polo Motel, <laughs> nice. very uh, very luxurious little chic place near Ballard. Uh, but they had free parking, so there you go. Ah, <laughs> a key component. Of <laughs> yes, that was the whole. I trip to Seattle, and also I was doing. I was I was there uh, to do an article for the 10th anniversary of Rubens. Uh, and also doing an event at Rubens. And I wanted, you know, if you're staying in the city, trying to get up to Ballard, it's a big pain in the ass. So I wanted to, you know, if you're staying downtown, so I wanted yep. to be yeah. closer so I didn't have to go through that. So Rubens, our good friends of Rubens, uh, go to podcast number uh, 82 or something, I'm going to guess. I have no idea. But it's probably earlier than that, but it's probably also not super far off. So. You can see it. You can see a deep dive and meet the folk, good folks at Rubens Brewing in Seattle, which makes fantastic beer which now gets down to Oregon, which is fantastic. They, well. they do. And I'll, I'll give you a, a little momentary beer Sherpa. Ruben's fine. And I think it's called cryocurrency, like cryptocurrency, but I could have that wrong. <laughs> but it's, um, it's a beer that they make out of all cryo hop. Ah. And apparently it's crazy, crazy, crazy expensive. So it's draft only because it's, uh, cryo hops are crazy, crazy, crazy expensive. Really? So it's just kind of a, uh, uh, an experiment and they use tons of them. Um, but it's a pretty off the, 
beer. It's kind of amazing beer. Is this is this you saying that cryo hops are a real thing? That like I don't know anything about cryo hops except that they freeze them real quick. Uh, yeah. So what they do is they they remove the lupulin gland from the the, the material, the hop, the the vegetable matter, right? Um, and then you can just use the the stuff that has everything you want without all the stuff you don't want. And uh, it's more condensed, you lose less beer. Did I say that right? Do they do that by freezing or am I wrong? I don't know how they actually, no. they probably do do it by freezing, but I don't, I don't okay. honestly That's know. one of those <laughs> moments where there's something in my brain and I've accessed it and I don't even trust what I remember. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure that uh, I'm, well, I'm certain that, so uh, the, there are different versions of this depending on the, the hop company. And this is a particular hop company that makes cryo. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are proprietary processes. And so I'm certain that they would not tell uh, us if we asked. Oh, okay. They might say something like it's generally worth freezing them or something. It's probably because I'm just brilliant and I can figure it out. You can figure it yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. uh, so where else do you visit up there? Well, I went to Metier, which is uh, the first blackout brewery in Seattle. Awesome. She says in Woodenville. Where's that? It's in Woodenville. It's north of the city, maybe northwest. I but don't okay. quote me on that. All right. Yeah, because I think I've been there. Um, and yeah, and I, you know, I, I did an article about a collaboration that they're doing with uh, Rubens to do uh, uh, a mentorship program for BIPOC folks who want to get into the industry, or actually. It, you don't even have to really want to get into the beer industry. They had, um, they did it last year. They had somebody who was getting into kombucha. So just something in, you know, industry like, mm-hmm. like this uh, as a way of uh, creating uh, networks and connections and information for people who don't have access to that. Um, and they actually pay people to do this internship, uh-huh. which is nice because, you know, that's one of the ways, that's one of those ways that structural racism works is, uh, Free internships where you did, where you work for experience uh, right. is not available for people who don't have forty hours a week to just screw around in a brewery. Right. Uh, so I, I got to talk. I, I met Drew Dillingham, um, who is at Metier, one of the people at Metier, the general manager, I think, is his actual title. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was going up there, I thought I should go see Drew, and I also because I wanted to taste the beer. I, I had. I've had a couple of beers before, but um, but I wanted to go to the brewery and yeah. the whole thing, and uh, and that was cool. Drew Drew has a history in wine, and he kind of doesn't want wine and beer. I think he, as I was testing it out, I think my sense is that he feels like wine should play second fiddle uh, and accent a beer. That's right. sort of my way. <laughs> but one of the best beers they had was a, a Riesling Saison. It was tremendous. So. Wow. I was encouraging him to maybe as much as he's reluctant to that too. Grace. <laughs> exactly. To, to sell wine. Yeah. But, uh, uh, and they also had a fantastic Kolsch. So oh, good. Uh, yeah, that's always a good sign. Somebody makes a great Kolsch here. Feeling good about that. Yeah. And then yesterday on the way home, I finally got to see a brewery that I have been wanting to see forever. You've actually been there, but I never have. Dun, 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 she knows. Oh, <laughs> Mecca. For yes. those of us who are totally into English beers and Cascales, Machine House has basically paved the way, I think, in the Northwest for a mini revival. Yeah, I think so too. I, I, I meant to ask uh, our guests today, and I don't want to step on your intro, but uh, how much 
uh, his his endeavor encouraged them because mm-hmm. um, we're you know we're seeing Patrick and I talked we did our we had a pot extra where we, we uh, uh, did some cask beer tasting because it's all of a sudden starting to, to flower here in Portland weirdly and I'm wondering how much his example of just sticking to his guns it's it's now the ninth year uh, he's been open nine years yeah and I don't think he's getting like Jim Cook rich, but, uh, but he's still, you know, he's, he has made a business and shown that you don't have to compromise. You can, you can make Cascale the way you want to make it mm-hmm. and still stay in business. And maybe that has encouraged people <laughs> to give it a go because, uh, because he has managed to stay in business. So, yeah, well, that's excellent. And, and the beer, the beer is, well, we have gotten the beer down here. So I, yes. I wasn't completely uh, unfamiliar with the beer, but uh, as I, as you and I talked about before, you know, next to your hand, uh, one of the most interesting projects he has is actually look at that. Yeah, you brought a can down for me. So what's the bot? It's it's a it's actually a collaboration with. Uh, well, it says lowercase. Lowercase. Okay. Which is a brewery. They're, they're in Georgetown, and uh, ah yes, yeah, it's it a brewery really really close to uh, uh, Machine House, mm-hmm. and it's a lager. Uh, and I, I've been trying to encourage people to make cask lagers here because uh, cask is, is not necessarily limited to English style beers. Right. And this was proof of concept, baby. Uh, <laughs> it was it was a tremendous beer. So it was. It's it, called London Lager. London Lager, and the kind of the shtick here uh, is that it's made with. Fuggles, East Kent Goldings, and Maris Otter, mm-hmm. uh, even though he normally uses Simpsons as a space model, this ah. kind of Maris Otter. Mm-hmm. But then it's lagered, and then it's uh, after the lagering process, he cast conditions it, right. just like he normally would. So mm-hmm. it pours uh, just like any cast conditioned beer, oh. but it tastes dead on like lager. And uh, if you want to experience what what a naked lager tastes like, uh, <laughs> you know, not supported by all the things we normally think of. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to taste what lager uh, yeast tastes like, this is a perfect example. I thought it was a, just a wonderful experiment and a tremendous beer. Um, nice. So that's two, it, that's two beer Sherpas yeah, in one I, go. <laughs> and I shouldn't give short shrift to his wonderful English beers, including his Dark Mild, which I tweeted out yesterday. Yeah. Uh, really, really dark mild which we've had before but it's uh it's it's uh it's very very kind of thick and roasty despite being only 3.7 percent yeah um it's one of those it's a mighty mite if you think that 3.7 percent can't deliver all the flavor you you know i would refute it with this beer very yeah. good yeah been so. there had it uh there's nothing quite like having the beer in situ on a cask house like that well good well i think that's a perfect segue then into today's episode indeed <laughs> On June 11th, Portland's English-themed Pro Cask Away Days Brewery hosts a cask. Well, we should be a little bit careful about that. It's a it's a Pro Cask Away Days Brewery, English theme, but also brewing other beers. That's true. They but they're hosting a cask ale festival with several regional breweries. As you know, Jeff and I love cask ale and have been promoting it for over a decade, all to little apparent effect. No, no, man, it's coming. I think maybe it's all our juice. Uh, you well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something changed in the past few years, though. See what I'm saying? And now several Portland area breweries have regular cask offerings. We toured a chunk of them on a podcast extra between shows 155 and 156. Go look for it. Uh, and by the way, it was the Milner's Mild. We crowned the 
the best of the lot that we had that day. That's right. Uh, which is in Way Day's uh, beer, which has shown the kind of sustained commitment to cask that has helped raise its profile in the city. In advance of the fest, we wanted to sit down and talk to some folks from the brewery, and we will play that interview for you soon. But first, here's the news. The news has been coming slowly this week, but we have one major item for you. Maui Brewing has placed a bid to purchase Modern Times. The troubled San Diego brewery will go through auction, will go to auction this month, and Maui's bid stands as the one public offer, though Modern Times CEO Jennifer Briggs believes there will be others. For Maui, Modern Times would offer valuable mainland beachhead. Maui currently distributes to 23 states, and obviously having a brewery in the United States would make that easier. Maui would continue to produce Modern Times beer. In 2021, Maui Brewing produced 62,500 barrels and was the 55th largest U.S. craft brewery. So there you go. So there you go. Which, uh, I knew Maui was kind of successful. I was a little bit shocked that they were in 23, 23 states. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't think we're one of those states. Yeah, we are. Are we? Okay. <laughs> it doesn't get a lot of market penetration here. Unlike Kona, which because of the Craft Brew Alliance thing with Widmer did get a lot of. So if you think Hawaiian beer in Oregon, you tend to think of Kona, I think. Yeah, that's probably true. But when I was in Hawaii last time, Maui beer was all over the place. So Yeah. Where were you in? I was on Kona, so. Yeah. Uh, or in Kona, so, uh, on the Big Island. So, yeah, and Maui is all over the Big Island, even though Kona big city mm-hmm. on the big island mm-hmm. is where Kona's from. Kona's from, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's interesting. Um, modern times could be saved. It does seem like it's a cool option. It's not Heineken. So if I <laughs> modern times, I'd be kind of happy about that. Yeah, uh, I guess. So uh, do you know how big their brewery is? Who, who, modern times. Uh, their no. San Diego operation? No. Yeah. They, I mean, they were, at one point, they had gotten to be the like 45th biggest brewery. Mm. Um, so it's, you know, they have enough production to make a lot of beer. That's what I'm, I'm wondering. Yeah. Like sort of how that production will be distributed because presumably, as you mentioned, it would make a lot of sense to brew, uh, brew Maui, excuse me, <laughs> brew Maui beer on the mainland. So you don't have to ship it, right. uh, which is what Kona does. Um, yeah. Shipping all the ingredients and all the glass or cans out there and then shipping it back. It's kind of oh, crazy. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. Yeah. So um, you would imagine they would brew a lot of Maui beer there. And so the question is how, what that distribution would look like and how that distribution would evolve between the Maui beer and the modern times beer. That is true that, that you could, you could wonder if maybe modern times might not play second fiddle in that equation. Yeah, and might stand the test of time. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> well, uh, we should probably get to our interview post-haste because we spent a nice time, a nice chunk of time, uh, and a good time uh, uh, hanging out with, uh, with the good folks there. So what do you say we get to it? Let's do it. All right, here's our interview with the good folks at Away Days Brewing in Portland, Oregon. We are sitting in the tap room of Away Days Brewing in Southeast Portland uh, with head brewer Marshall Kunz and Nikki Diamond, who co-founded the brewery with her husband, Peter Hoppins. Away Days is an offshoot of the wonderful Toffee Club Pub, which celebrates all things UK and especially football and, and Liverpool's Everton FC. Uh, we have referenced Away Days a number of times in reference to their commitment to cask ale, and we're talking to them this week because on Saturday, June 11th, they'll be hosting a cask ale festival in cooperation with cask-friendly breweries Level, Gigantic, Machine House, Upright, Steeplejack, and Porter. 
it seemed like a perfect time to chat. So thank you for joining us, thank Marshall you. and Nikki. Yeah, great to great to see you guys. We've been big fans uh, and have stopped in the pub uh, a number of times. In fact, we came in really early after you opened. Uh, yeah, you're gonna say something. No, no, I was just gonna say that we did our pub our, our cask pub crawl, uh, walking around inner southeast Portland looking for cask ale, uh, and we uh, crowned your. Um, Milner's mild as our champion. Yes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so love it. So kudos. The trophy will be must be lost in the mail. I'm sure. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was awesome, and it was interesting. Um, not just because there's a, so many you can actually do a pub crawl with cast breweries now, but I think I think all but one had a mild on, which also blew our minds. Great. So it was a it was a real apples to apples comparison. Yeah, it's awesome. The mild you had. So let's back up a bit uh, before we get into the Cascale. And Nikki, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Toffee Club and how you got involved in all of this? You and is it Peter or Pete? Is um, Pete. Yes, yeah. he goes by Pete. Um, <laughs> how you got? How you, how this whole thing started? Absolutely. So we moved to Portland um, about thirteen years ago. Um, we're both from England. Um, Pete was working for Nike at the time, so he um, got the opportunity to move over here. We thought we'd be here for five or so years, and then we'd go back to England, and here we are 13 years later. Um, um, Pete was working for Nike. My background is in brand and marketing. I was working for a design agency over in Nepal. Um, and we had always talked about doing something that centered around um, food and drink and experiences and people so when we were in our 20s we used to think we'd move somewhere to the beach and open a bar with you know uh, uh, DJs and music and kind of beach vibe parties um, then when we first moved here we would be driving around wine country and we'd see this like big old house that was for sale we'd be like oh we could open a bed and breakfast when we retire you know and so we've always had this dream of doing something um, and then I left my agency job when our first um, child was born, our daughter, um, seven years ago. And um, I didn't want to go back into agency world. I was freelancing. Um, but we were kind of just starting to think, well, maybe this is our time to do something. Um, at the same time, Pete's brother, Jack, um, moved to Portland as well. He was moving over to marry his now wife who is from Spokane, and he had managed the pub operations of, uh, the bar operations of pubs back in, um, on the Wirral, where they're from, near Liverpool. Mm -hmm. So we were kind of like, well, maybe this is exactly the time to do it. Um, we'd been throwing around concepts of what this thing might look like for quite a while, and um, we just had this real feeling that Portland could do with a football pub that was... Um, really inclusive of everyone. Um, whether you're a fan, whether you're you know, diehard, come from a family where football is religion, or whether you are brand new to the sport, whether you want the women's game or the men's game, or you know, just whatever it is that you're, what, what you're passionate about. So we started looking at locations, um, and we came across this little corner on 10th and Hawthorne. Um, it was a lot bigger than we originally were planning. We were probably thinking something more like the size of the Away Days Taproom, something intimate, cozy, you know. 
we should say that the away days tap room is right next to the pub. So if you ever come here, they're they're right next to each other. That's right. Thank you. Yeah, they're in the same building. Um, but a lot of the places we were seeing were, you know, the lower floor commercial space of new apartment blocks. They just didn't have any real um, character or. And we saw this space that has the exposed beams. It has the wood. It has the brick outside. It, um, it just really spoke to us with a lot of opportunity that we could build a space that would feel, um, you know, kind of new meets old and like celebrate some of the original um, features of the building as well. So from seeing the space to opening was almost exactly a year. Um, at the same time, Scout Beer, who were the previous tenants of this space here, they also um, came into an agreement to, to build the, the space that we're sitting in right now, which is now the Away Days Tap Room. Um, so we built this building from the ground up. So it was from plumbing to electrics to floor plan to everything. So um, we kind of got to build it to our, our dream, you know, our <laughs> dream design um, with a lot of learnings along the way, of course. So, um, yeah, fast forward six years. Yeah, um, so that was founded in? 2016. And then the, you started the brewery in 2019? That's that right? right, yeah. So, um, uh, Joe from Scout Beer called me, and I remember it was November of 2018, and said, we're going we're gonna to shut this location down, because they had their lot on 50th as well, and the mm. two locations were just too much for them. Do you want to take it over? And at first, I was like, absolutely not. You know, <laughs> the pub was only what two and a bit years old. We had a two-year-old and a five-year-old. Um, Pete was still at Nike, so he was out in Beaverton every day. He was traveling. Um, life was hectic to say the least. But then, as we started talking about it, we're kind of like, this could actually be an incredible opportunity. Um, first of all, to kind of build a business that has a very different business model to the Toffee Club, um, to brew beer that we can sell at our, at our business. Um, and also the space was already built and established. So it wasn't like we were looking for a whole new location. And then the other thing from a kind of a business opportunity, or I suppose flow, foot flow opportunity that we saw was you know, people who come to Portland or people who are out, they're looking for brewery on their phone. They're look, they're going on Google, they're going yeah. on Yelp, they're looking for brewery. People aren't looking for English pub. Right. So our theory was, you know, we have these two locations, we intentionally made them feel very different, that we can, you know, get people coming into the tap room because they're looking for a brewery, and then they'll happen to see that there's this sweet English pub next door, and, you know, so that was, we opened in August of 2019. So we had a whole, what, eight, six, seven months, and then COVID hit. So, <laughs> um, interesting. <laughs> Can I just stop you for a second Please. and ask you uh, what your thought process was on creating a, an entirely uh, differently branded brewery in a space that looks very different from the Toffee Club? What, what was the thinking there? Absolutely. Um, so not just calling it the Toffee Club Brewery. Right? Yeah, no, you know what, it's funny. We, we definitely considered all options, but what we knew was that we didn't just need more Toffee Club. You know, yeah. um, Toffee Club is, for anyone who doesn't know, um, 
we're an English football pub, so we show all of the European leagues. We woke, we, I mean, we used to open up at 4 a.m. and all those crazy times, but <laughs> now it's, you know, more reasonable 6.30 a.m. openings. Um, so we're, we're busy during the games. Yeah. We're busy at certain moments, but there's also quiet moments yeah. that you have to fill. So we knew that we didn't just need more space to fill. Um, and we thought it would be really fun to create something that, you know, if you dig deeper, you can tell it's by the same owners, but you wouldn't know that just from walking in. Right. So our, um, our thought was, you know, Toffee Club is very, it's very English, like you said, yeah. Jeff, mm -hmm. and no, the, the um, very like UK, it feels like a pub. It's got that like old wood, that cozy. Well, that's what I love about it. The old rugs, the mismatched old furniture. Yeah. It feels just like an English pub to me. Amazing. Well, that's, that's our intention. And yeah. that always <laughs> makes me happy to hear. Yeah, I love it. Um, and then we were thinking, you know, as we were thinking about the concept and of course the style of beer came into the concept, um, we wanted to celebrate more than just British beers. Yeah. So we, you know, grew up in England, traveling around Europe, enjoying all of these different styles of beer. I actually lived in Germany from 11 to 18 as well, so I grew up drinking all of those German beers. Um, Do you mind if I ask where? I was in Karlsruhe, which is um, uh, not far from Frankfurt, kind okay. of Frankfurt, Stuttgart, Mannheim, in that gotcha. lower corner there. Um, yeah, I moved there when I was 11. Of course, you can start drinking at 16 in Germany, so I worked behind a bar at that time and you know just I think about that now and it's it seems wild but um, so we just really wanted to celebrate those different styles and the diversity of those styles and we met Marshall through our interview process actually at the time I think Jack spoke to you know 10 different brewers yeah. as we were interviewing and um, we just had some really great synergies um, <laughs> Marsh, I don't know if you want to talk a bit about yeah. just the styles that you so love to and, brew. Intermarshall and, yeah. so talk about your backstory. Yeah, um, so I had brewed at Alameda for quite a few years. I was up at the pub just running that. Um, and then we went out of business in October, I want to say, of 2018. Um, so I was just kind of waiting, seeing if something good was going to open up. Didn't want to rush into anything. Uh, and then, yeah, we started interview process here and just loved the idea, loved the styles they wanted to brew. Um, we all got along, so yeah. Cool. Came here. Uh, so cask was a part of the, the concept right off the bat. I don't mm -hmm. know how much you knew about brewing, but it turns out as easy as cask ale looks to brew, um, you know, you're talking about single infusion mashing and, um, uh, you know, it's it, it doesn't look super complex. Mm -hmm. Americans don't know how to brew cask. It's just the number of times I have bad cask or ba bad uh, English keg beer mm -hmm. that's just not well made. Um, it's really common, and I'm always shocked. It's like mm -hmm. Americans seem to know how to brew lagers. How, how can you not figure out English beer? So was that a was that did you did you know Marshall could brew that? Like how did you figure that out? Because you definitely we're gonna we're gonna come to your brewing in a minute. You definitely nail these things. We're drinking a couple of your beers right now and they're they're just dead on. Yeah, I mean I think it's just kind of been passed along misinformation over the years. I think that a lot of brewers were getting their idea of what English beer was 
from really old English beer that was showing up, mm-hmm. and we're mimicking that. <laughs> my theory, at least, I don't know, because yeah, that just like super heavy malty dark fruit is not what they're typically presented as. Um, yeah, and I just I worked at Belmont Station years and years ago um, and got turned on to Coniston's Bluebird Bitter there, and that was one of those like, oh. It can be a really light and bright beer that's very hot forward, and that just kind of like was a little light bulb moment to to look into English beer more, and just kind of the wide range of um, styles too. Like I had started there right when Upright had put out their first Billy the Mountain, and I was that was just mind blowing to me and like a total change in my whole approach to beer and what I wanted to drink and yeah so that was two beers that definitely started all off yeah we actually uh, discovered Coniston as well and that was a, 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 a way for me to before we went to the UK for me to get into it too so mm-hmm. I'm totally with you that that's yeah. a great it's a great envoy it seems like in the UK it's not a beer that people know so well but in the United States they really do so yeah it's a great beer yeah uh, do you want to add anything about uh, your concept for the brewery. Um, I'm going to ask you in a bit about uh, the difficulties of Cascale in terms of Americans not getting it. But yeah, um, you, yeah, you know, that? I guess the only other thing then um, was um, to follow up on the question about how we decided to make them feel so different. Was when we knew that we were going down the direction of really celebrating European styles and having fun with them we wanted a space that reflected that. So really Mm -hmm. make sure that our product and our brand and the stories that we're telling and the experience and the space all actually tie into each other. So our influence or inspiration for this space was kind of a European cafe, you know, something you might find in Copenhagen or, you know, that kind of like definitely bringing in some of that Scandinavian influence of the light and bright airy space. and even just down to kind of like some of our like graphic design, the more clean, the more yep. kind of um, uh, to the point messaging. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was how we want it. And then, and then it was also the consideration of like, okay, if Waydays is kind of bright, modern, fun, and Toffee Club is more classic and traditional and comfy, then the two kind of like sit next to each other. Right, and support each other through that. That hole that's right. Yes, we share a kitchen, so there's a food pickup wall in the in the corner. Uh, before I launch into Cascale, do you have any, anything you want to jump in with? Well, just that uh, you're talking about sort of being being more pan-European, um, but you did you do sort of focus pretty heavily on English-style ales, um, at, and particularly at a time when English-style ales weren't in great favor among American consumers. So I'm just sort of interested in that as well. Like, uh, was that um, because you're next door to the Toffee Club and you wanted to provide those beers? Or I think it's a combination of a few things. Um, one, it's the beers that we all like to drink. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, that's kind of always a, a quite an easy deciding factor. It's like, do we want to drink it? Yes. Okay, that's great. <laughs> um, Another is, I think it's interesting actually, we have a, our bitter, we're kind of seeing an interesting journey, just to take our bitter as an example. Yeah. Um, it's something that we have canned a couple of times now and it hasn't necessarily kind of 
flown off the shelf <laughs> and we've been considering renaming it you know do we call it an English pale or <laughs> and then this last round actually is selling great yeah. I mean more more steadily um, so it's the Birvana juice that's yeah, you know that's right. but, I think, but I think there is something to that you know people are just starting to pick up on it more yeah. and it's not the thing that people are necessarily going to grab but then once they do have it they'll yeah. come back and then they're going to be more likely to ch try adjacent styles as well so I think we're seeing it grow I wouldn't mm -hmm. say it was the quickest thing that flew off our shelves to start yeah. with would you agree? yeah yeah absolutely it's definitely uh I think people's perceptions are changing quite a bit and just that word bitter is always such a hurdle um it's i mean like we can our mild our esb and our bitter and i think they're all fantastic beers but yeah the bitter always lags just a little more than the others just because i think people have a weird uh idea of what right. a bitter is <laughs> that's interesting yeah it may, it may have to do with the american uh history where 15 years ago IPAs were incredibly bitter. Right. And those are mm -hmm. super unfashionable now. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. when they see that word, maybe they think they're going to find one <laughs> yeah. like that in there, which couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. Even though they'll pick up the ESB, no problem. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just don't know what it means. Who knows what the yeah. B stands for? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the thing, uh, Patrick and I love this style of beer, and we can never figure out why it hasn't been popular, but. Uh, we're going to touch on that in a minute, but but e even if it were popular as a brewery, it poses a lot of challenges to keep cask on, mm -hmm. uh, keep it fresh. You know, this is a big challenge in the UK. It's one of the reasons cask has been struggling lately. Uh, so, how did you deal with those challenges? Um, <laughs> maybe leaving aside uh, the COVID era yeah. <laughs> in normal production, how, yeah. how do you how do you manage that? Yeah, I mean, we're such a small team that like the quality aspect's pretty easy i mean there's only what well, i guess there's five of us now over here so as far as the bar staff goes it's really easy they all know what they're supposed to be doing what the beer's supposed to taste like and they care about it too so it's really easy as far as keeping the quality up there um it is a struggle space wise to mm -hmm. try and just like when we're conditioning all the cask definitely just tucking them into every little corner <laughs> that we have um and it's nice having Toffee Club as well to kind of make sure we can rotate through things right. in a good yeah. good pace and all that. And um, gives us a nice little reason to have a third cask handle that we can you know send people over there to if they show up and they're like, oh, we love cask. And yeah, so we kind of have a, a lot of different ways to approach it. And what is your cask setup? Do you have... Do you how do you do it? Do you do it in the super traditional way with the, the spile and the... Not super <laughs> traditional. We do use traditional cooperage, firkins and pins. Right. Um, we use hand pumps. Mm -hmm. We've got two of them at the bar. Sparklers and then, or no sparklers? Um, we typically go with sparklers. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Given, um, given your, your northern England uh, background. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm fine with either way. I think it definitely changes beers. Um, and... We kind of has said from the beginning, kind of leave it up to whoever's serving the beer, um, uh -huh. their preference. Um, but yeah, we do sparklers, hand pumps, and uh, we use what's called a cask widge. So the kegs actually, or the casks sit vertically, and you tap them through the um, keystone. 
and it draws from the top of the uh, liquid with a, it's got a little um, buoy on it that right. holds it up there. Um, so you're always pulling clear beer and um, we hook up a breather as well just to let that beer last as long as possible. So describe the breather tech. Uh, this is something that I think is also not typical in the UK. Yeah, uh, well, camera says, I think now maybe they've changed <laughs> to allowing it now that cast wow. is dying. <laughs> but camera originally said no breathers, no additional gas right. whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, but if you don't use a breather, that beer is going to die in you know two or three days. Right. Yeah. Um, the breathers just push the tiniest amount of CO2 in to just fill that extra headspace when you're pulling the pint. So you don't get a vacuum if it's sealed or you don't suck in oxygen. Um, yeah, just helps the beer mm-hmm. stay fresher longer. Yeah, I think, I think this is one of those technologies that is going to make it possible for cask to survive in the United States. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You just don't have the volume to yeah. uh, yeah. pulling air in, and especially in a UK cellar, uh, that can't be the like the most filtered clean air ever. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't imagine yeah. so. I wouldn't no. imagine. Uh, yeah, you gonna say something? No. Okay. Uh, I just switched our beers very cleverly. Though. Yeah, let's talk about the beers. Yeah, I want to. I, I I think we should talk about uh, cask and how you do it. Um, uh, the you, you tend to do mostly traditional styles. Though the last time we were here. You had a wonderful Citra Hop one, but um, mm-hmm. you've got a, a, a pale and an ESB on right now, and I think they, they exhibit what I consider the hallmarks of, of the tradition, so the malts are very rounded. Mm-hmm. I noticed some bags of crisp malt back there, so yep. you're using English-based malts, I take it? Yeah, we use mostly crisp, uh, sometimes Simpsons, definitely Simpsons Golden Promise, just kind of depends on the beer and what I'm feeling that day, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah. Do you uh, treat your water? Very little. I've never really seen a huge benefit myself, uh, and I don't think we brew a lot of styles that necessitate it, really. Okay. We do use a little bit of gypsum and a little bit of cor- calcium chloride, pass that, just acidulated malt to adjust pH. So you do stiffen it up a bit. Mm-hmm, just a little bit. Um, not by any means the Burton on Trent uh, <laughs> profile. Yeah. 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 So listeners, we have listeners all over the world probably know this because we mentioned it a million times. Portland has basically distilled water. So it's a real neutral palate, which is very different from English water, which is, tends to be hard and mm-hmm. may have sulfur and other weird stuff in it mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> um, and uh, the uh, yeast you use. West Yorkshire, which is the Timothy Taylor strain. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of that one. We started with the Scottish Ale, which I don't know who that came from, because that's what I always used at Alameda, but we switched probably after the first year or so, I want to say, to the Yorkshire yeast. It's just great. It's super, super clean if you ferment it cooler, and then you get some really nice, like, peachy stone fruit uh, at higher temperatures, so it does really well with the English stuff. By chance, I was at um, Machine House yesterday, and, and uh, Bill also uses, he has two strains, and he uses this one. Mm-hmm. The other one uses the Fuller strain, mm-hmm. and that one's kind of a bear, because it really fl- flocculates fast. Oh, and he yeah, says yeah. You can, he likes this one, because it crops well, and yeah. it's vigorous, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a few of us here in town that use it. 
you know, Upright uses it and uh, Steeplejack as well, and we kind of all share back and forth mm-hmm. to, to keep it rolling. Oh, nice. cool. Yeah. Nice. And it's, uh, I mean, I know that England is really compact, and you may consider Keeley, is that where uh, Tim Taylor is from, I think? Uh, far from Liverpool, but it's kind of in the neighborhood, certainly from an American perspective. <laughs> Definitely. The perspective is it's much different. Yeah, than right. yeah. Half an hour drive is a long way. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, we're, you know, for, for, for you folks, that seems like a nice touch. Yeah. You're not using a London ale. Yeah. It's probably good. Have you seen interest growing in Cascale? Uh, you know, we've, I'm wondering... We, we talk about the push and the pull in the beer industry. Brewers will push things out into the market uh, and hope that customers start pulling. And right now we're seeing a lot of pushing from breweries, all these breweries that now have Cascale. But I'm curious, are people pulling? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, you know, like we said, we started with Cask as kind of one of our highlights. And since we were so small, we knew that we could just kind of hang tight and do what we wanted to do and not have to do a lot of trend hopping. and put out the styles of beer like Nikki said that we like to drink and it's just caught on over time the first cast fest we did in 20 oh, no, it was 2020 it was, it was yeah, right yeah, before right. covid it was, yeah. it was just kind of a pet project for us and we didn't really expect much and then we were slammed for it and uh people are always coming in looking for more cask and second year did really well for the fest so and you're and they're and they want they don't want just IPAs on cask. They're actually drinking these lovely beers like we're drinking today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's really fun to watch people who have been coming in here since we opened who would usually go for like, I want the IPA, I want the lager, you know, and uh, now they're all what's on cask. And and one of my favorite things to do when I'm working here is to, we quite often have um, the style on draft and cask at the same time. So I'll give people a side-by-side comparison, especially if they've never heard of cask and they can really experience how the um, how the beer is different, and it's there. There often will then order a pint of cask afterwards, which is cool to see. <laughs> that is cool. Yeah, that it is wonderful. I'm glad you do that just as an edu- as a, a point of education because uh, it's it's hard to appreciate how different they can be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you start out with exactly the same beer and you put it in a different dispenser. Yeah. Really change it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so talk. I want to. I want to hear where the brewery is going because I know you have a big project coming. We'll talk a little bit about the Cask mm-hmm. Fest. So this yeah. is going to happen. Uh, as we record this, uh, a, a week away, and as it will be broadcast on X-Ray, I think, like two days away. So uh, mark your calendar. It's going to be here? It's going to be here, yeah. So uh, um, at the brewery on uh, June 11th. That's correct. So what yeah. will people find? Yeah, so um, we decided to structure it a little bit differently this time. Um, we've always done, well, the last two we've done pre-sale tickets. Um, just which include um, four half pours, two pint glass, uh, and a pint glass. Um, and we see the people kind of steadily come throughout the day. But the way that we're structuring it this time is slightly different. The pre-sold tickets will actually allow people to come in two hours before it's open to the general public. So they know that they'll get the full lineup of the beers that we're offering. Um, so those unfortunately did sell out. <laughs> I was gonna say, and as I noticed today. <laughs> Damn. Uh, but we will be open for walk-ups from 2 p.m. So okay. 2 till 8 o'clock is open for anyone to come in. We'll still have a wonderful lineup, even oh, yeah. if I don't think, you know, by 2, we usually haven't gone through any. But Yeah, it's usually um, mid-afternoon that they start blowing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we'll have, um, 
we have a rolling bar that we'll set up with all the gravity pours over here and then we'll have our two um, hand pumps at the bar as well. Nice, very cool. You have a big project coming. I, I'll allow you to insert anything you have here before I go on. Well, I just, I was gonna, the one thing I was gonna insert just to make sure it's clear because we're focusing this discussion on cascales. that you have two Pilsners on tap, you've got two IPAs on tap, I see, so uh, you're not just about cask and English style ales. Which we've mentioned again, but I just want to make sure that's clear. To people. Yeah, yeah. So come for whatever beer you like. <laughs> it's true. There is IPA here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. No hazies, though. <laughs> yeah, fair. Do you make uh, all your ales with this yeast strain, or do you have multiple mm -hmm. yeast strains? Okay. Yep, everything with the Yorkshire. Uh, you can kind of, like I was saying, really cooler temperatures, it's really clean. Higher temperatures, you get a nice ester profile. So it, I love it with hoppy beer. Um, and we don't really make anything too wild or crazy so i don't need like super high alcohol tolerance or anything like that or right. it would do well in a hazy i think but we just don't make them everybody else does and i don't think i have anything to add to the conversation so <laughs> no reason to make one you do use an english strain it would be interesting to i wonder yeah. uh, have people use this strain for hazies i wonder what it would be like yeah, yeah i'm not sure yeah yeah well, maybe a collaboration or something. Yeah, see. maybe. <laughs> Somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, you have a big project coming up. So there's, this is exciting, breaking news, sort of. We do, yes. Breaking news, sort of. Um, so what we realized very quickly in this um, small southeast uh, Portland location was that we have run out of space. Um, since we took over from Scout, we've added four tanks. Um, our system struggles, especially when the heat comes, and you know. So we also <laughs> and Nikki's looking at the tanks, yeah. which appear to be encroaching on our position <laughs> as they spill into the tap room. over the pub. <laughs> in the tap room and in the brew house at the same time. Um, we even turned our office at the Toffee Club into a keg walk-in when we reopened the pub when, um, when the lockdowns were ending. So we've run out of space. Our system is way at capacity. Um, so we started looking for a, a second location and we were open to all ideas. You know, do we just need a production facility out somewhere where it's going to be shoot, you know, super cheap rent and we can just brew there and bring it in? Do we take over a brewery that's maybe gone out of business that's a little bit like we did here that's already you know, set up? Or do we start something from scratch? Um, so we were looking into all the options and we have um, a good friend who owns Good Coffee out in, well, in Portland and who just opened their roasters out in Troutdale. Mm who got wind that we were looking for a new location and was like, you must come and meet some people here in Troutdale. So we met the mayor. Troutdale we is, met. is a suburb east of Portland. Yes, so thank you. FYI, for yeah. those who are not here. Yeah, it's called the Gateway to the Gorge. That's so right, it's the Gorge is nice. Yeah, it's a beautiful area. Um, and one thing that Troutdale, um, they're trying to do is try to make it not just the Gateway to the Gorge that people drive through, that people actually want to stop and spend some time there so anyway a few conversations later we were then put in touch with a development a developer company and everything kind of just started happening um quite quickly actually um the city was super excited to get us in so we're going to be moving into the old city hall in troutdale oh nice um 
It's a big old building. It has its 100 year anniversary this year. Um, so we are working with a development company who are building the build, like revitalizing um, the building and building it to our specifications. So to where we're going to have the brew house, where the restaurant's going to be, where the um, beer hall's going to be. Um, so I'll let Marshall talk a little bit about the, the brew system, but generally we're going to have our uh, brew house downstairs and then upstairs will be full kitchen, beer hall, patio, the whole thing. Nice. Awesome. It's a cool looking building. It is. On, it's yeah. a big wooden building. That, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah, yeah. It's got a lot of character, which we like. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, what's the brewery going to be like? 10 barrel brew house. 20 barrel fermenters, we'll have uh, bright slash serving tanks, which would be great because I hate washing kegs. <laughs> <laughs> um, just going to be bigger, better, newer equipment, which will be great after working on this stuff for so long. Uh, we'll definitely still have cask out there. We already got the hand pumps purchased in here, <laughs> ready to roll. So Awesome. Yeah. Uh, and you're, you're, you will keep this, this, this yeah. site? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, um, you know, we're keeping all of our options open just to see what happens. And we've had some interesting conversations with other um, breweries, especially, you know, like Thunder Island along that way and trying to understand what their business model is in terms of how much of their beer actually provides the tap room versus goes out for wholesale. So, yeah, we're kind of trying to we're keeping this all as stable as we can and then adding that and then seeing where we net out. Yeah. Well, it looks like a fun project and maybe uh, not next year, but in, at some future year there will be a cask fest out there. Yes. Maybe that will be the place oh, to have that. Yeah. It seems like it would be absolutely. pretty cool. Yeah, we could do a double hit event out yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully by then more people are making cask too and right. be great. Yeah. Well, uh, Marshall and Nikki, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, Patrick, any final thoughts? Well, I'd just like to take this opportunity to, are, are both you and Pete Evertonians? I'm horribly neutral, oh, which okay. actually Well, is then for Pete's sake, great. I'll say congratulations yeah. on staying up this year. Yes, uh, he was year, so. Yeah, it was a big relief. <laughs> Thank you. From You're Pete. welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thank yeah. you. Thank you very thanks much for, for talking to us. Thanks again to Nikki and Marshall for hanging out with us and telling us all about Waydays Brewing. Uh, Toffee Club has been one of our favorite pubs in Portland for quite a while since it's open, really. Uh, we don't get there nearly as much. We plan many, <laughs> many notional trips to go have a full English. Yeah, the full English. That's one thing we never, I couldn't squeeze in, but uh, it's one of the only places uh, that I know in, in, in Portland that you can get a full English. Practice. Yeah, so they're open early uh, on the weekends because of the Premier League and, and European soccer matches that uh, are live, and they do the full English breakfast there. And, and in yeah. fact, we don't actually know that they still do. They did before COVID, but I don't know. I presumably so. they do, yeah. And we did know. meet Pete, by if, the way, if after. If you don't do it, then consider this a, an obvious request. Yes. Return. So, yeah, yeah, but we did. Yeah, go ahead. We met uh, We met uh, Nikki's husband, Pete. So. Yeah, so uh, we learned all about uh, his background, and he was actually learning learning the, the kitchen. That's right. He, came, he, came out he was doing the he was doing the kitchen training. So that's the life of a small business owner. Yeah, got to know everything. And he's an interesting fellow. He's a really accomplished uh, guy. He was the uh, uh, the what? What's his name? He was a, a big. Well, what he did was he he designed the kits, the the football kits, soccer kits for Nike, uh, for all the big European clubs. 
Yeah. And national teams. Head of design. So we, we, we chatted a bunch about Brazil because I lived there for a year and in my sabbatical year and he's, he was down there a lot doing stuff with the Brazil national team. So it's true. Afterwards, that conversation got a little bit abstruse from my taste. There was a lot of, <laughs> it went away from beer. Yeah, exactly. Was <laughs> Jeff of, was lost. It was, it was nothing to, to talk about. It went to the soccer nerds. Which, <laughs> <laughs> my eyes started to glaze over. And I had the experience of when I'm, I'm forcing people who are not beer nerds to hang out with beer nerds. Anyway, so. fantastic people. Super nice. Really wonderful. Great beer. Great food. If you go to either side, you, you get food from the kitchen at the way days. Uh, pub or at the Toffee Club. And if you're listening to this uh, before June 11th and you're in Portland. Uh, yeah, so we should really put uh, pump that up. Yeah. Uh, which is the Cask Ale Festival. Uh, Pre-sold uh, uh, tickets are out, are gone, but you can show up at 2 p.m. onward and uh, taste all kinds of lovely cask offerings. And I'm pretty sure... Not 100% positive about this, but uh, if the old brain pan has contained this memory accurately, uh, Upright may be bringing uh, a cask of their Billy the Mountain, their mm. retooled, non-Bretna uh old ale, Billy the Mountain, which I actually got to taste, uh, I don't know, recently. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, uh, it's quite tremendous. So um, that would be an interesting experience for people. Uh, to try that's something like an eight percent beer on cask, uh, which is perfectly English. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see that. So this is Saturday, June eleventh, uh, starting at noon, but it's open to the to the non presale ticket holders starting at two. Uh, it'll be at the Away Days uh, Brew Pub, which is basically the corner of Hawthorne and Tenth in Southeast Portland. Uh, other breweries that are bringing cask ale are Level, Gigantic, Machine House, Upright, Steeplejack, and Porter. Um, Porter's another place, another another brewery we visited way back when. So go look at it in the archives um, from Redmond, Oregon. Right. Also a fully like machine house. One of the brewers fully committed to Cascale. So that'll be that'll be super fun. Yeah, yeah, it is cool. It's cool, and I think um, one of the things that was, I hope we maybe we talked about it afterwards, but I asked um, if if business is picking up, if people are like. Cask is was that on the on the pot or not on the pot? <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. But I was, I was very heartened to hear that um, there's a growing interest from consumers uh, about cask in Portland. It's not just brewers who, uh, as so often, make brewer type beers that that customers don't really cotton to. Right. So uh, in this case, it seems like there's an organic upswelling of interest uh, for cask in Portland, Oregon. So that's awesome. Yeah, and classic, classic cask beers. Uh, we did have uh, beers. We drank beers on the uh, during the interview, but we never actually talked about them. So we could really quickly just mention that we had an ESB on cask at Way Days, um, and it was more of a classic ESB. If you're familiar yes. with uh, Fuller's, which is quite stridently hopped, this was much more of a malty uh, uh, kind of a triumph of malt, very soft, mm-hmm. full, uh, but sessionable and balanced. Yeah, um, lush hopping, but not like. Big hops. Right. Not, not very bitter. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was an English Pale that was a collaboration with Machine House, the aforementioned Machine House and right. uh, Away Days. And it was really nice. It was um, uh, had, had really wonderful sprightly hops floating on top of that lovely yeah. malt base. Yeah. The beer is clean, super balanced, light, lovely, perfect for cask. Beautiful golden. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're really, um, they've really got it dialed in. Yeah, he is really nailing uh, 
uh, beers there, Marshall. And we talked to him afterwards. He has not actually been to the UK, so he's he's. Uh, yeah, it's kind of astonishing. It is. <laughs> I was like, well, just wait. <laughs> You're gonna have fun. <laughs> he he, uh, he gets it at a at a, a really intuitive level because he's really poor. Yep. he's really doing them yep. properly. He really does. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that's it for our podcast today. So a few words going out. Please subscribe on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. That helps other listeners find the show. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We don't have a mailbag today. We're out of time anyway. Uh, but please send your questions or comments to jeff at beervanablog.com or on Twitter and Instagram at beervanablog.com. Oh, on Twitter and Instagram at Beervana Pod. I'm really messing these things up today. <laughs> Jeff blogs at the Beervana blog and he tweets at Beervana. Patrick tweets at Beervana. All right. We don't have anything to cheers, but we did cheers with the money. With the money. Right, I need to go back to bed. <laughs> with the beers we had at Away Days. Indeed. All right. Cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Patrick.